Let's just pray. Yeah, Lord, I thank you that your spirit has been with us this afternoon already. I thank you that already you have been speaking to us. And I pray now as we turn to your word and start to talk about it and and preach from it, Lord, I just pray that you would speak into our hearts even more, that your spirit would remain active, remain talking to us, and that this would be a time when you reinforce what you've already said over over today and over the last few weeks as well. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So today, I want to talk about the beauty of God. Now, I want to start just by reading a verse from Psalm 4, Psalm 27, verse 4. It'll come up on the screen. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. We often sing about God's beauty. We sang about it today. We sang Beautiful Savior. And sometimes, and we sing other songs like You're Beautiful Beyond Description. We sing, I see your face, it's beautiful. And sometimes I think to myself, well, what does this mean? How do we actually kind of picture the beauty of God? In Ezekiel, at the very start of Ezekiel, he has this vision, which he says is a vision of the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Which is quite an awesome thing. And as we read through that vision, it starts off, you know, talking about this um, almost angelic being with wings, but it starts to get a little bit more strange. It starts to talk about these wheels and these various different heads, an ox head and an eagle head and a man's head and a lion's head, all kind of fitting together. And I read through that and I think, how is how is that beautiful? I don't quite quite get it as being beautiful. Perhaps it's my my literal mind, perhaps I'm taking it far too literally. But it's hard. It's a hard thing to grasp. And today I want to kind of think about one or two of the things that makes, that can kind of help us to picture how God is beautiful. And then secondly, I want to think about how it should impact our lives today. What does this mean for us? David, in this verse, he says the one thing that he would ask of God is to dwell in his house and to gaze upon his beauty. I'm not sure if I came around and asked everyone one thing you'd ask of God. If you had one request, you could have anything you wanted. I'm not sure how many of you would have come up with this as your your first answer. Maybe you would have wanted to win the lottery, or maybe you would be a bit more noble and want world peace or something like that. I'm not sure. It could be a variety of different things, but I doubt that many would have come up with this, dwelling in the house of God, gazing on his beautiful face. So what does it mean? Why was this David's request? And how does it fit in with this stuff that we've been talking about recently, about kingdom living? Okay, so I want to start off just by having a look at some of the things that I think of when I think of, of God's beauty and some of the things in creation that reflects God's beauty as a start. I've got a few kind of visual aids to help us with that. <laughs> so the first thing I think of is my family. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> For those of you who have had children, it's one of the most amazing times of your life when that child is born, this tiny little being in your hands, this amazing thing that God has created. Not Josiah, he was never tiny. <laughs> he was amazing, but he wasn't tiny. <laughs> but Fraser, you, you kind of looked at him and you thought, how is this surviving? How is it possible, this tiny little thing that's completely dependent upon you. It gives us 
a reflection of the glory of God. It says in the Bible that we were created in God's image. It's a reflection of his beauty. If you look at the next slide, these are the mountains on the island of Jura. I spent many months of my life on a campsite that overlooks these mountains. Sometimes the clouds would come down and they would disappear and you wouldn't even know they were there. Other times they, they seemed so close that you could reach out and touch them. They're about 10 miles across the water. In different times, one time actually we went across in a little boat and we actually climbed the mountains. After gazing on them for so, so many times, we finally got around to climbing them. And as you begin to climb the mountains, to me, in that time, you, you just feel this, this peace, this kind of almost purity in the mountain air. It's just away from anything else. It's almost like you're away from anything that's spoilt. You get a sense of God's majesty, of God's splendor. When we were on the top of that mountain, it was a beautiful clear day, and we could see down to Ireland, and we could see right up to some of the, the northern isles, the, the northwestern isles like Tyree and Colonsey. We could see across to Arran on the east of the, from the east. And it was just amazing just seeing something of the beauty and the splendor of God. On the next slide, a beautiful sunset. Again, the sky changing and just drawing in. Have you ever stopped and stared at the sky and wondered just how amazing God is, how big the sky is, how beautiful it is as it changes? The next one. Rob kind of talked about this time of year, about spring. And for me, it's a special time of year as you begin to see new life, new hope, Everywhere around you, there's new things growing up, the flowers coming out after the deadness, after the coldness of winter. I love this time of year. I love the tranquility of being in a garden like that. And also, the, the, I guess, a reflection again of God's creativity. When you think about all the different flowers, all the different types, the beauty of each different one, he didn't have to make those, did he? He didn't have to put such amazing variety into this world. There's almost an excessive opulence about it. But God did. It reflects, again, some of his beauty. This one's not in Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) A beautiful tropical beach. Again, it speaks of, as soon as you see the picture, it almost speaks of of relaxing, of refreshing. Don't you want to get into that water? (laughs) Unless, of course, it's Bear Grylls Island, and then you probably wouldn't be so relaxed. And then the last one, the galaxy. Again, it's so beautiful when you look up on a clear sky in, in the middle of nowhere where there's no kind of street lights or anything else, and you just see millions upon millions of stars. And you look up in wonder and awe. When I read the different descriptions about how many stars there are and how far away they are, It blows my mind. I can't comprehend the numbers. God has created these beautiful stars that some of which people will never even see. Again, it's almost excessive, but it shows, again, the size of God, the beauty of God, again, is reflected in it. So creation reflects some of God's beauty. It gives us a glimpse of his majesty. It points to us to his power to his might, to his omnipotence. It shows us some of his creativity. And it leads us to worship. A few years ago, I spent 
or I went on a summer holiday with a group of Christians to Switzerland, and we stayed in a chalet in the Alps. And each evening, after kind of spending our days either uh, whitewater rafting or walking in the mountains or cycling, each day we would come in the evening and, and just worship God. And it was so easy to worship God in that setting, singing a song like, How Great Thou Art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made. It's easy to worship God when we look around and see the beauty of all that he's created. But it doesn't show the fullness of God's beauty. It is something he's created rather than the creator itself. It is a reflection, but it's not the full story. Also, in amongst the beauty of this world, we do see ugliness as well. It is a fallen world and there is sin around us. Just this week in the press, we saw a number of different shocking, disturbing stories. So first of all, um, I heard a story about a father beating to death his four-year-old daughter. 66 bruises on her body, her front teeth missing. Can't comprehend how that could possibly happen. Again, in the, in the press this week, we've heard a lot about ISIS. We've heard a lot about the different refugee camps that, the, that all that kind of trouble is creating. And we've heard a lot about the people who get so desperate to get out of that situation that they decide to get on board a boat like that one and try and escape across to Europe. There's a story in The Guardian this week, an interview with someone who was in such a desperate state. He said... I cannot go back to my country, says Abdullah, who is from Darfur in Sudan. He left for what is now South Sudan in 2006 after he says his village was destroyed in the Darfur war. His father died, his sisters were raped. But in South Sudan, another war later broke out. So he made his way through the Sahara, a journey that he says killed his brother and his cousin to Libya. And there last year, he was witness to his third civil war in a decade, a war that still drags on, its front line just a few miles from the camp near Zoya. There's a war in my country. There's no security, no equality, no freedom, says Abdullah. But if I stay here, it's just like my country. There is no security. There is violence. When you work, they take your money. That's the kind of desperation that would cause him to get aboard a ship like that and risk his life to try and cross to Europe. We live in a world that is beautiful, but we live in a world that is marred by the ugliness of sin. It sits in stark contrast to what God has created. When God created this world, he looked at it and he said, it is good. But we look around us and we see things that clearly aren't. If we go back and have a look again at at Psalm 27, you know, David was someone who was very aware and very familiar with some of these things that we've been talking about. So he lived with war. He lived also on the run for many years, fleeing for his life from Saul. He lived with some of those dangers. He also lost his best friend, Jonathan. He was killed. So David was very aware of some of the ugliness of sin and what it does to this world. But David also wrote some of the most amazing songs of praise to God. 
Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil man advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. It starts to make more sense when you put it in context that that was David's cry. Having lived through all that horror and the terrors of war, he wanted to live in the peace and tranquility, in the safety of God's house, to gaze upon his beauty. Some of the words he uses there, God is his light. When you're in a darkness, when you're in going through something really stressful at night, suddenly when the light comes in the morning, things can seem so much better. And Rob talked last week about how God calls us to be light as well. talks about how God is his salvation. So God is his saviour. He takes him away from the, the hardships, from the, the hopelessness. How God is his stronghold. He provides the safety and how he has nothing to fear. God is a God of redemption. In Revelation we read about how God plans to redeem his whole creation. How he plans to make again good what has been spoilt. Revelation, it talks about how God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and now they won't be separated, but they will be brought together, how God is going to live amongst man. In Revelation 21, verse 3, he says, And I heard a loud voice, this is John speaking of his vision, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself but will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Imagine a world with no more violence, where Abdullah doesn't have to worry anymore about what people are going to do to him. He doesn't have to fear for his life so much that he's going to get on that boat. Imagine a world where everyone has enough to eat, where children don't have to go out on the street and beg. Imagine a world where there's no more disease, Ebola, malaria, cancer, no more. Imagine a world where politicians delivered everything that they promised. I know it's hard to imagine. Imagine a world with no more wars, with everlasting peace, with no more tears. It's a stark contrast to what I just painted before that, the picture of the world that we live in today and the ugliness of sin. Again, there's a phrase in some of the Psalms, come and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You begin to see holiness is basically, and God's holiness is basically about the fact that he's been separated from sin. Sometimes we can almost think of that phrase as him being a bit aloof, a bit separate from us. But what it actually means is that he's completely perfect. He's separated from sin. And that's the picture that it paints in Revelation. 
That's why there is no more tears. Because he's completely holy, completely separated from sin. In Revelation 22, it goes on to expand in that vision. It talks about how there's a river flowing from the throne of God, bringing life all around. And it talks almost at the pinnacle of the vision. It talks about how we shall gaze upon his face. It doesn't tell you exactly what his face is going to look like, but it tells you that his glory will fill the whole of heaven, that there'll be no need for any lights, there'll be no sun any longer, there'll be no need to kind of switch on your lights when you get home. His glory will fill the whole of heaven. Grudem talks about God's glory as being the visible manifestation of the excellence of God's character. He is so holy, so bright, so pure, that he's going to light the whole of heaven. That's some of the glory of God. It's a glory that even when people on this earth have caught a little bit of a glimpse of it, so people like Ezekiel and that that vision that he had, or Moses, they fall flat on their face and worship, even when they catch a glimpse of a little bit of that glory. So part of the beauty of God is his holiness. Part of the beauty of God is this glory and this, this brightness, this purity that we will get a full vision of once we get to heaven. But what about the meantime? Are we just kind of holding on on this earth with some of the flaws that are in it, waiting until we're rescued up to heaven? Or is there something more to it? You can probably gather from the, the, the talks that we've had in the last few weeks, there might be something more. Jesus, obviously when he came to, to earth, he broke through the barrier that there is between heaven and earth. And he lived out the example of what he wants us to do. Wherever Jesus went, he healed the sick and he raised the dead. He fed the hungry, so the feeding of the 5,000 or the wedding at Cana. He set the captives free. So you think again of the the, uh, paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof on a mat. Jesus said to him, you're forgiven from all your sins. And then he healed that man. He set him free. Or the adulterous woman that was brought before Jesus. Again, he said, let him who's without stone, without, <laughs> without sin cast the first stone. By rights, they could have stoned her, but Jesus set her free. Tom Wright, in his book, um, Surprised by Hope, he says, the whole point of what Jesus was up to was that he was doing close up in the present what he was promising long-term in the future. His whole, the whole point of the book that he's written there and the whole kind of thing he's getting at is that as Christians, we shouldn't just be waiting and longing for heaven, but we should be as a people calling for heaven to come onto earth. And that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks, the Lord's Prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He goes on to pray in that prayer for the provision of daily bread. So again, provision. And he goes on as well to talk about forgiveness, first of all, for our sins and also that we forgive others. The church is called to reflect some of the beauty of God to those around about us. Particularly, there's a chapter in 2 Corinthians 
where Paul talks about this in several different ways. 2 Corinthians 3, I'll just read verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul's been talking about and using the example of, of Moses, who, when he caught a glimpse of the glory of God, his face shone. But he used to put a veil over his face. And what Paul's saying is that we now live, because of what Jesus has done, we now live with unveiled faces reflecting God's glory. Again, because the Spirit has come and imparted that into us, not because of anything we've done, but because we've been saved already by Jesus, that salvation is for now. It's not for just when we get to heaven. The salvation is for now. And the transformation into his likeness starts now. Paul also uses the example in that passage of um, perfume. He says that we are to be an aroma. As we walk into a room, we're to be an aroma of Christ. We're to carry that with us, to reflect his beauty. So we're called to be holy. First Peter 1.15 says, Just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Again, it's not something we can do in our own strength, but it's something that's only possible through dwelling in his presence, just as David talked about. Dwelling in God's presence, being filled with the Spirit and reflecting his glory. We're called to follow Jesus' example, to to go around seeking to, to heal those who are sick, to feed those who are hungry, to liberate those who are captive, and even to reflect God's glory in things like creative work as well. To reflect his beauty here on earth. As Christians, I think we should be moved by what's going on in this world. When I read through some of those different things earlier on, I'm sure most, most of you were moved. Christian aid, they have a motto that they believe in, in life before death. We're not just waiting until people die and go to heaven. We believe in life before death. God's salvation is not just putting out up, it's not just about putting up with this world and holding on for heaven. It's about now, his kingdom coming here on earth. It's right to meditate on heaven. It's right to focus on, on all the things that are going to happen there. And so, but sometimes we can overemphasize that. Sometimes we can forget about reflecting it into the present. I love the song that Paul Oakley sings. Um, it's, I think it's called Because of You. And he celebrates about what Jesus has done for us through his blood, because of his love. And he celebrates what we're going to see in heaven as well. I love that song, but I almost wish that there was another verse which talked about the fact that so much of that is available now. Because of what Jesus has done, because of his love for us, because of him shedding his blood, it's available now, so much of it. God has called us, you know, to be people who reflect Him, to bring healing, to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring justice into this world. He's called us to do it now. So just to summarize, God's beauty 
We get a glimpse of it in the creation that he has made. We get a glimpse of his majesty and his beauty. But we will not see the full beauty of God until we get to heaven, until we get a full appreciation of his glory and of his holiness. Hence David's request as well, that he wanted to gaze in his face, he wanted to dwell in his presence. It should, however, impact us now. We're called to reflect it now. And I wonder what that means for you. For different people, it will mean different things. Martin Joseph sings a song, Kiss the World Beautiful. He sings, I'm not singing it, I'll just, I'll just say it. <laughs> I'll not do it justice. I want to kiss the world beautiful. Dream, but never fall asleep. Go up to God and say, do you have any plans today? Are you walking down my street? All of us as Christian are called to do that, I believe. To say to God, what are your plans today? Do you want to come and walk down my street with me? What is God calling you to do? It is the essence of what we've been looking at right now through these chapters of Matthew 5 and 6. As you read through the different themes there, it's all about living holy lives, forgiving others who who sin against us, loving our enemies, giving to the poor, storing up treasures in heaven. Basically, reflecting God's beauty onto earth.